Live from the 607, it's the Ocho Duro Parlay Hour, where we're talking everything going on in the world of sports. Join in the conversation on social media with the hashtag ODPH, because here we go. Welcome to an all-new edition of the ODPH Podcast, better known as the Ocho Duro Parlay Hour. What's happening, everybody? Thank you so much for joining us this week. My name is Ken M. Joining me in studio, as always, you know him. He is the co-host. His name is Padawan J. Hello, hello, hello. Folks, we have a lot to talk about in the land of sports, and we definitely want to interact with you. So, Pad, where should everybody go after they hear the show? ODPHpodcast.com. Right on. You swing on over to the website. You sign up for all the social media accounts. They're right there on the front page. The T Public Store link where rumor has it a sale is dropping this week. No better time to go get some ODPH swag and support the podcast. Seriously, we always encourage everybody, take advantage of the sales when they're there. We just appreciate everybody supporting us in that kind of fashion much like our patrons shout out to all our amazing patrons one tier two dollars a month and you get some bonus content delivered right to you it's how that works so we're super appreciative of all our patrons right there they have their own section on the website as well so you can go follow them interact with them and you know like i say we always like to have a good time with the odph society you can check out the parley points blog section where there's always something new dropping there the directory which pad how many providers are we on uh 590,000 sounds about right to me the classified section which has friends of the show such as 3fn podcast dragon master games and so many more the music section of the podcast where you can hear all the great bands and go download their music that you hear each and every week on the podcast, on the TikToks, on the YouTubes. Basically, if it's anything and everything that is the ODPH, you can find it at odphpodcast.com. And on social media, remember to use the hashtag ODPHpod. Kicking off this edition of the sports show, there was an event over this past weekend that definitely generated a lot of headlines. Some for the right reasons, some for the wrong reasons. So we have to dissect the event that went down. And, Pat, what are we going to talk about? Uh, UFC 288 taking place from the Prudential Center in Newark, New Jersey. Yes, it was a great night of fights. A lot of headlines coming out of that. So let's recap the main card that it was, Pat. Yeah, so just real quick, I want to give a shout-out to the fighters on the early prelim card on ESPN Plus and UFC Fight Pass. Clearly those guys had some place to be and had dinner plans because <laughs> every fight in the early prelim was either a TKO or a KO. God damn. Oh, that's awesome. That's insane. Uh, but we're going to jump right into the main card and uh, mention real quick that in the first fight on the main card in the featherweight division, you had Charles Jourdain defeat Kron Gracie via unanimous decision, uh, 30-27, 30-27, and 30-27. A little bit surprising of this. I only got a chance to catch the main card. So obviously getting a prelim card that was delivering you that many highlights, you knew the expectation was high. And this one kind of surprised me. I thought Gracie was going to pull this one out, but sadly it did not go that route. But Jordan gave him all he could handle, too. Yeah. So you can't go wrong with that. Like I say, obviously coming in off the momentum of the big fight, unanimous decision is not how you really want to kick off a main show, but didn't take anything away from the rest no. of the fights. Uh, next up was another featherweight division fight where you had uh, Mo, uh, Mozar Evelev defeat Diego Lopez, uh, also by unanimous decision. This one 29-28, 29-28, and 30-27. This one was a wild card. Like, this one was definitely a fight worth, uh, you know, noting. Uh Obviously, did got the performance of the night uh, bonus for everybody, or Uh, fight of the night? Fight of the night bonus. Yes. It definitely earned it, too. Like I say, it was a wild one back and forth. And like I say, that really energized the crowd in Jersey. So, you know, always like seeing that. And, you know, obviously, this one was a highly contested bout. So, like I say, seeing Mozart win, that's going to be interesting to see where he goes moving forward. 
And we'll have to kind of wait to see how Diego bounces back from this one. But I think we'll see both of them in the cage sooner than later. Probably. Uh, next up is the women's strawweight division where you had Jan Z- uh, Zionen defeat Jessica Andrade via knockout uh, at 2 minutes and 20 seconds of the first round. Talk about making a statement. Woohoo, boy. Jan came in and defeated Andrade in decisive fa- fashion. Like, like to put it in perspective, like Andrade does not get knocked out Easily, let alone ever. Well, it's happened a couple times. Like I say, to, to my recollection, like you really got to make sure you take her out quickly. And to see that Jan came in and really just put the strawweight division on notice. Right. Like that's the type of fight that you want to come into the UFC. You want to make some noise. You want to get some spotlight on you. This is what you do. And especially taking on Drod like she did. That is crazy. And now where she goes from here. It's literally anybody's guess. I mean, with strawweight, it's hard to say about, okay, who can go where? Because obviously Zong is still champion at the top there. Uh-huh. And we know that Jan has now risen in the ranks, though. Currently the number third ranked fighter behind only uh, Thug Rose at number two and then Carla Esparza, the number one ranked fighter. You know, I don't know if they would leapfrog and give her a title shot, but after a performance like that, you have to at least put in consideration. Right. I don't think they're going to, but stranger things that happen in the UFC. But this one, I did not have going this way. I thought Andrade was going to win this one outright. And, I mean, kudos to Jan for for putting on a performance like that. But, man, yeah. definitely sending some shockwaves in that strawweight division. And I love seeing contenders rise up to especially when you think about that division, it's usually been Rose or Zong that has been just you know dominating everybody. Uh-huh. This is now great to see a contender rise up in the ranks. Yeah, and like you said, it doesn't happen that often to see uh, Andrade knocked out. But when it does, it's some high-class names that have done it. You know, Valentina Shevchenko, uh, Zhang Weili, and then also uh, Liz Carmouche uh, back in 2013, just to name a few. Yeah, like I say, it doesn't happen often, but let, let alone in that quick of a time span. Uh-huh. Like, just precision striking. And, like, what else can you say? Congratulations on the W. Yeah. Uh, next up was the co-main event of the evening uh, in the welterweight division where you had Bilal Mah- Muhammad defeat Gilbert Burns by unanimous decision, 50-45, 49-46, and 49-46. Definitely thought this was going to be a more contested bout, but I know that Burns got hurt in this. Mm. So when you're still fighting through an injury, and it really took his toll on his shoulder, his left shoulder, I believe. Okay. This was giving him problems doing his striking, and then obviously if you take out a weapon like that, especially for somebody that relies on it for takedowns, right. relies on it you know, for his strikes, he, Bilal took it full advantage of it, as he should have. Like I say, I'm not saying anything is tainted with this win, but it's tough that you have to see a, an injury happen like this right? that really takes away. Right. I mean, just looking at uh, Burns' record, he's got 22 wins. Nine of them are by submission, which, last I checked, having a working shoulder and arm, pretty integral for getting a submission win. Mm-hmm. It's like it's like Nolan Ryan not being able to use his pitching hand. You might get a hit off of him if his pitching arm isn't 100%. And especially, too, in this welterweight division that is now – giving the lightweight division a run for the money. I'm not saying it's the most stacked division in all the UFC and MMA. I'm I'm not going to say that. But considering the fighters that are making some noise in that division and how important this bout was that you had both Muhammad and Burns ask for it to be five rounds. Right. Like the UFC didn't have to do this. Like we have to keep that in in full perspective. They never asked them you know, to go up and do five rounds. The fighters wanted to do this because both of them, and rightfully so, 
have a claim about getting that title shot. Right, and that's also a division where, I mean, Christ, you just look at the top five, six guys. You have to make some noise, and you have to stand out from the crowd like it's a professional wrestling match where, like, you got to do something to show out because it's a loaded division, and there's a lot of guys making a lot of noise and a lot of claims. I mean, Leon Edwards is the champion. Number one contender, Kamaru Usman. Number two uh, contender, Colby Covington. Three, Bilal Muhammad. Four, Hamzat Shemaev. Five, Gilbert Burns. Six, uh, Shavkat Rachmanov. Like, even seven, Stephen Th- Wonderboy Thompson. But, like, that is a stacked top seven guys. Yeah. No, the, the welterweight division really got tight in a hurry. That now you have fighters really given a viable threat to Leon Edwards because where Usman was so dominant, this is a situation that somebody could sneak in there and get that title shot. Now, obviously... And it has been well documented on the show if you're turning, tuning in for the first time. You know my feelings about Colby Covington getting the title shot. Uh-huh. And I don't think he deserves it at this stage. I'm sorry. He hasn't fought in how long. He got defeated by Usman twice. The fact that they're speeding him to a title shot against Leon Edwards because he is a character. He is a draw, so to speak. I, I don't think is right. I think it should have been the winner of this bout, Muhammad and Burns. I know both of them were hoping that their performance would have skyrocketed him to that level. Right. Unfortunately, that's not going to happen. I mean, the fallout is going to be Muhammad is going to wait again, and it's been so long. Like, he takes a lot of time in between fights for different reasons. Sure. But obviously he knows that he is deserving of the title fight after beating Burns. And like I say, unanimous decision still. But when Burns is hurt, you take advantage of that, and and you use it to his advantage. He's just going to sit back and wait for the winner to get sorted out here. Yeah, that's all you got to do. I mean, you've made a statement. You fought five rounds when you didn't have to. Mm-hmm. You know, you showed out and you looked dominant. So you're, you're going to pick up whatever uh, comes up next. Yeah. So like I say, I can't fault him for waiting. No, I, 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 no. But the situation is he shouldn't have to wait. Like, that's the big problem I have with this is now you're going to be waiting almost a calendar year. Like, if you think about it. Yeah, maybe. Because last we heard, Edwards and Covington was nowhere close to getting signed. Uh, They were talking about September, maybe. Sure. So I I know that that, that's been pushed back a while. I mean, it could happen in July. Like, crazier things have happened. But I know that there was a lot of talk about them waiting to do this because obviously they want to get a proper fight camp in. Right. So like I say, I've heard everything from July, but the closest thing I was hearing was more September, which I like, I, if you do that, you're tying up your division yet again. Right. And then what happens from here? And like, but I can understand Edward's point though. If he wants to wait, he had to wait how long to get a title shot. Right. And we've said this many times too he's not a flashy fighter right he's arguably the most technically sound in that division he's not going to put in a bunch of highlight reels he's not going to put any big sound bites he just goes in there and fights and with like I said you can't complain about that no but like I say I think it's going to be a long way for Muhammad to get that shot he's going to just be sitting back and waiting and I I don't know how like I say I I struggle with the idea but I understand it like this is one thing about the fight game that if you're sitting there waiting, why risk your chance? Sure. Well, if he doesn't want to wait a calendar year, he does have a challenger. Oh. Uh, this uh, this comes from Hamza Chimeyev's personal Twitter account, which he sent this out at 2.55 p.m. Eastern on May the 8th. And he said, and I quote, uh, I have no problems with fights. If they give me a fight, 
I would have fought a long time ago. I did so many training camps and not one fight. The problem is definitely not with me. Prepared in Dubai, then to Thailand. Why do I train so much if there is no fight? I do not understand. And then afterwards, he tweeted in a separate tweet, I can fight everyone. I don't care who. And then he proceeded to tag Bilal Muhammad, Kamar Usman, Israel Adesanya, Leon Edwards, Colby Covington, and Robert Whitaker. So Hamza is ready for a fight, and he is throwing down the gauntlet. I'm glad you brought him up because here would be my my argument with this. I think Chimeyev would be a great matchup for Muhammad, but it's not going to happen. Okay, Muhammad is going to wait for his title shot like that, and and rightfully so. He's been waiting how long now? I understand it. The argument you have against giving Chimeyev the fight, the last fight he was supposed he came in uh, against Nate Diaz. Right. Or was supposed to come in. How many pounds was he overweight? I can look it up. Exactly. He was that remember that threw the entire card off because he came in overweight on his big, you know, primetime debut, so to speak. We had all seen him go on a tear and take fights on short notice. I think he set the record for fighting three times in two months. Uh it was a catch weight bout of hundred and eighty pounds. Yeah. And it was his last fight against Kevin Holland. It was yeah, it was Holland. Like you say, he blew weight. Yeah. And that's the that's the problem. Or uh, he might not have blown weight there. I know he did against Diaz. Sure. Because that threw everything off for a pay per view. <clears throat> but in this kind of situation, you have to sit back and go, Okay, if we're gonna trust you again to get a high profile fight against a Leon Edwards, hypothetically, mm-hmm. and Israel Asanya. How do we know you're going to not miss weight? I mean, this right. is this is a legit question that you you know he has to make sure he hits that. So I wouldn't doubt seeing him getting a contender. And I tell you what, the fight I would love to see happen is him and Robert Whitaker. Mm, okay. To be honest with you, I know it's 185. I don't care. I think that that would be a true test for him. I know Whitaker. Uh, I believe has another fight coming up. Either way, I think that that's a, that's a better test to see where he's at because if he's bouncing between weight classes and not saying he can't make it, mm-hmm. but you also run the risk of just you know dehydrating yourself to the point you're you're going to be struggling. And obviously, it's been it's been noted that he struggles to get to 170. I mean, right. when, when you blow weight as bad as he did, right, and just went like nonchalant, like eh, it happens. Yeah, yeah whatever. You know, you can only do catch weights for so long, right. and then you're going to be forced into division. I mean, this is like the late Rumble Johnson used to do. <laughs> yeah. I mean, let's let's talk about it. So for Chemayev, if he's going to make a serious run at 170, I'd love to see him fight against a contender like a Shavkat. Sure, I could see like, that. Like I would, I would do something. I don't want to say low key, but like well, have you have a have you proved to us us being you know Dana White in the bookers if we want to use wrestling terms, you know have have you proved to us that you can make weight because the last time we trusted you with a high profile high high uh, attention uh, high attention fight, you blew it for us, mm-hmm. you know. So prove to us that you can do this, and then we'll give you a high profile fight. Yeah, I mean that's the one argument that you have against giving him a title shot, and not saying that he's not box office. He is box office. Dude's like twelve and zero. Yeah, and like I say, he is the next, you know, version of Donald Cowboy Cerrone. He fights anybody. He'll offer to, but the situation comes back to the weight cut, and if he can make one seventy easy, then yeah, I'd give him anybody he wants to fight there. To be honest. But I think Shavkat would be a real challenge for him. Right. I think that, you know, because obviously they're very big on him. I, I'll i be honest, I'm not exactly wowed by Shavkat 
at right. this stage. Like he, he needs to do a really good performance for me to be sold on him. But in this situation, I think that that's a fight you can do. Uh, but it all depends on what they really want to go with for the UFC and especially what division they want him to fight at. I think him at 185 would be a better fight. And especially, as I said, him against Robert Whitaker, I think would make a lot more sense. Yeah. But it just depends on what they want to do with you know the two divisions. Like I say, Shavkat has been rumored heavily, and I think this fight would make a lot more sense too, is Kamaru Usman. Mm. And I think that that's a real test to see where he's at. Right. Because if he's the real deal and you can <laughs> beat Usman, yeah. you you know you can get that. Otherwise, I mean, you, you like I say, you can plug and play Chavmat or you know Chimaev in, into a couple different places. I just think 185 would be the direction I would go in, but because right. that's the problem now is at 170, you've got a, like a murderer's row. I say, I'm Christ. I'm just looking at the records for Hamza and then Shavkat respectively. So for Hamza, he like I said, 12 and 0 record. Mm-hmm. He's had one fight in his entire professional career go the distance, and that was against Gilbert Burns at UFC 273 in April of last year. Yeah, every other fight has been either a knockout or a submission. Shavkat, same goddamn thing. 17 professional fights, uh, 17 wins, no losses, eight wins are by knockout, nine are by submission. This motherfucker hadn't had a fight go the distance ever, and he's been in his first professional fight, mind you. October seventeenth, twenty fourteen. Yeah. So this isn't like oh he bur- oh he burst on the scene and was a Donald Cerrone type of all oh, fight anybody anywhere anytime on a week's rest. No, like this dude has been fighting for almost ten years now and has not lost a fight. Yeah. And has not had a fight go to decision. Yeah, like I say, I could see that happening, and I think that be that would be box office in its own right. Like you don't have to give Chamaya a, a title shot right out the gate. I would put him against Chef Cat. Like okay, like they did this a while, years ago. Ironic, an ironic story. Sure. Sorry, I'm making up words as we're talking here. It's ironic to see two undefeated fighters come back and then one might get a title shot out of this because I think that would be the way you would go with this. If Chemayev wins, then I think you have to give him the title shot. Oh, sure. Remember when Ryan Bader faced John Jones? Yeah. Both were undefeated at the time. Yep, something had to give. Something had to give. I think that they should run this same kind of scenario yeah, here. Yeah. And then I think you you can't deny Chimaev if he does this. If Chimaev runs through Shavkat. Oh, so you can't deny either one. Yeah. Whoever wins. Exactly. I think then then you can skyrocket them, you know, into that stratosphere. If if they don't want to go with Usman for whatever reason. I think Shavkat against Usman makes a lot more sense. And then it just it really goes back to what division you really you want to stick Chimaev in if he can make 170. If you can make 170, if you could force the fight between him and Bilal Muhammad, I think that would be a great fight too. Mm-hmm. But I think now the problem is coming out of this is you, you're staying strong about your stance about Covington. Okay, cool. But now you hold up your division until you figure everything out. Mm-hmm. It's going to be messy before it gets all cleared up. But like I say, that's how I would fantasy book it. So we'll have to wait and see how it goes. Uh, and then the main event of the evening was for the UFC Bantamweight Championship, where you had Aljamain Sterling uh, defend his belt by defeating Henry Cejudo via split decision. Uh, the judges scoring the card 47-48, 48-47, and 48-47. Well, oh, I've got thoughts. Okay. I thought Cejudo won this. Uh, I got to note, this was also Cejudo's first fight in nearly three years. If he'd have fought three days later, it would have been three years to the day. Former Olympian, multi-division champion, and Triple C walked away from the sport on a very high note, and the quote-unquote king of cringe was making some rounds about coming back, and 
really tried pulling a Randy Couture, to be honest with you. Mm, there's a name. Well, you think about when Randy retired and then came back to fight Tim Sylvia in the heavyweight division. Yeah. And Couture thought it was an easy win. <laughs> well, I think Cejudo thought the same thing here. And I don't blame him to an extent. Aljamain Sterling is one of the most polarizing champions in UFC history, in my opinion. Sure. He is somebody that is... Fans are very split on. Sure. And I am one of those fans. I respect his ability. I don't respect... Uh, I shouldn't say I don't respect. I, I'm not a fan of... Sure. How we've seen him not exactly take some fights as champion. Like when you're saying your neck is hurt and you're caught out partying. Mm-hmm. You know, that's... Perception is reality here. Sure. In my opinion. And just how... He's gone into this. I mean, he he's much like Leon Edwards in the same vein that he fights so long. He's you know goes on such a, li- a long win streak. You have to give him a title shot sometime. How he won it, obviously a little controversial with Peter Yan doing the disqualified knee. And uh, Sterling has won since. I mean, I know you have his record called up. Yeah, I do. So uh, uh, Algermain Sterling won the UFC Bantamweight Championship by beating Peter Yan via disqualification, uh, which was an illegal knee, on March 6th, 2021. Uh, Since then, he beat Peter Yan by split decision in a rematch in April of that same year. Then he beat TJ Dillashaw by a TKO. That was in October of 2022. Uh, and then you had the most recent fight against Henry Cejudo, where he won by a split decision. But for the rest of his record, uh, he is, in 26 professional matches, he has a record of 23 wins, three losses, uh, three wins by knockout, eight by submission, 11 by decision, one by DQ. And then for his three losses, only one by knockout, uh, two by decision. Yeah. So, like I say, he's very polarizing amongst fans. Sure. And the opinion. And I thought in this one, I thought Triple C did enough to win, but it all goes back to the the same point that we've said for many eons here, and Dana White put it best. Don't leave it in the refs, or not the refs, the the judges' hands. Yeah, and I think that that's where Cejudo did wrong. Mm -hmm. I thought Sterling, I will say he he showed up for this one, and not to say that he wasn't going to, but he did surprise me about stifling Cejudo's grappling for, for most of this. But in my opinion, I thought... Cejudo won round, you know, three rounds. Okay. I, I thought he did. Okay. So Sterling pulls off a big upset. The crowd did not see – the crowd seemed kind of mixed about this one. Sure. From the videos. You know, like I said, from me watching and and the videos I've seen post. Because, like, I, right. I, I try watching it as much because I'm like, do I really want to think the crowd was not, you know, 100% by the guy? You know, well, the, I mean, you think about it. And this isn't a shot against the guy. I mean, hell, he could take my head off mm-hmm. with a fucking blink of an eye. You know, but when you look at the rankings on UFC.com and you just look at the folks who are champions, you know, Volkanovsky, Brandon Moreno, Islam Machekov, Leon Edwards, Adesanya, Jamal Hill, John Jones, Amanda Nunes, Zhang Weili, Alexa Grasso, you know, and then Nunes, the, you know, the champ champ where there's nobody in the fucking division for the for the featherweight. Yeah. Does Algermain is Algermain now for you? Sure, you'll think about him. But for the casual fan who catches a fight every now and then, if they got nothing going on on a Saturday night, they might watch a fight night card. They don't necessarily catch everything. But if you go up to the average fan on the street and go, name me five current UFC champions, is anyone realistically going to say Algermain Sterling? Chances are no. Chances, I mean, sorry, chances, uh, chances are no because he's not box office. Yeah. I mean, that's the one thing about him. Like, he tries, but it just it doesn't come off that way. I will say in his post-fight 
speech, though, he did sound more of a respectful champion. Sure. Because I think that he's understanding to a degree what the public is saying. Like I say, he's getting booze in the crowd. And like I said, I had to go on multiple videos to make sure I wasn't just hearing things. Sure. Because I I really want to make sure... Because he trains right outside of Jersey, mm, okay. like, like I say, he, he you know he's he's in one of the camps down there. Sure. So this is like a homecoming for him, and the crowd is still booing it at the the announcement. Right, and I mean we got to give him a little bit of credit. He did break the record for the most consecutive UFC bantamweight title defenses with three. So hey, mm-hmm. you know kudos to you. But even the title run hasn't been anything that spectacular. Like I said, he won the belt off a a legal knee, a DQ, came back and beat Peter Yan in the the following fight like a month later. Hey, cool. Then you came back and you knocked out TJ Dillashaw, which sure is a name, but we got to remember at the same time too. At the time, he was 36 years old, and he's got a lot of tread on those tires. Yeah, and then he also, and then he came back and beat Henry Cejudo, who was three days shy of fighting for his first fight in three years. Sorry, octagon rust is a thing. Yeah, and that's something that I think moving forward from this fight, Cejudo has got to see if he's really committed to coming back, or did he want a quick win? Sure, that's the argument I have with him because he's already talking about he didn't want to fight again. Which well, the rankings don't, apparently don't know that because he is now the third ranked fighter in the bantamweight division. Right, but like I say, but it was the emotions of losing because I think he was fully banking he was winning. Oh sure, and obviously when he's had the success run that he's had, I mean flyweight champion, he defeated Demetrius Johnson. I mean that, that that's a that, short that's a short list of folks who've done that exactly. And the fact that he, you know he was planning on winning this and then going to fight Volkanovski. I think things have been thrown, you know, out of whack for him. Yeah. So he's got to decide what he wants to do. If he wants to disappear again, sure, go ahead. But if he's a real competitor and wants to make this make another run, yeah, he could put some wins together and get back in easy for the Vanderweight division. But for Sterling, now we get a little crazy. Mm-hmm. After the fight, Sean O'Malley came into the ring and they called him out. And there was an obscenity-laced tirade between the both about the fight uh, that's going to now happen because Sean O'Malley is going to get the title shot. Much in the same vein, but not in the same reasoning, I don't agree with him getting a title shot this quick. I really don't with O'Malley. I just don't think it's time. Like He has not shown me enough to say that he's the number one guy in this division. But this is going to be a fight that I think the UFC is salivating over, if I can use that word. Because O'Malley will generate buzz. O'Malley is much of the same mold of a Conor McGregor, a Chael Sonnen. Mm-hmm. He's going to talk. He's going to talk a lot. He's going to do some outlandish things. People are going to tune in to either watch him get knocked out or watch him win. And now Sterling has a chance to really make a statement here. Or if he gets picked apart, he's now going to get exposed as being, you know, an imitation champion. Sure. And I mean, we've got to give O'Malley a little bit of credit because looking at his record, uh, 18 professional matches, 16 wins, one loss, one no contest. Uh, he has certainly been flashy and, and made some noise in his time in the UFC. Uh, so since he joined the UFC way back when on Dana White's contender series in July of 2017, he has won one, two, three, four f- performance of the night. Uh, bonuses and earned one, two, three fight of the night bonuses, but which, Hey, that's cool and flashy and all, you know, but at the same token, I mean, I'm just looking at his record, you know, only in his last two fights has he fought folks I recognize. And that was uh, his most recent fight against Peter Jan, who he beat via split decision in October. Mm-hmm. And then previously was uh, against Pedro Munoz, which was a no contest because of an accidental eye poke in July of last year. 
you know, after that, you might recognize some of those names. I sure as shit don't. Yeah. You know, so if this is a case of like, oh, he's beat a who's who of of that division. Sure. I, I can understand that. I can stomach that. But you face two guys in that in that division, you know, one of which is now, <clears throat> you know, the, the number five ranked fighter in, in the bantamweight division in Peter Yan. And then you look at the other one in, in Pedro Munoz, who is the number 10 ranked fighter in that division. Yeah. Well, it's, hey. Good for you, but that's not enough. Yeah, that's the whole point with this. So now the UFC, I mean, if they want to generate buzz into these lighter weight divisions, I guess this is the way they're going about it. Uh, in my opinion, I don't think it's the right one, but people are talking about this, and everybody really had a reaction to O'Malley coming in the cage, and he knew exactly what he's doing. I'm not faulting him for this. There's now a buzz, love it or hate it, around Sterling versus O'Malley. Mm-hmm. No timetable about when that's going to happen. Um, I would say probably August at the earliest. I would Im- imagine unless they do a quick turnaround for whatever reason. Right. But I think they're going to really try making this into a big event. And now the UFC has a really marquee match at 135. But, I mean, I, I don't know. Like, I, I sit here and I kind of question it just on how we got here. Right. Because, like I say, Mirab who came away, uh, Davishili, mm-hmm. came away with Sean O'Malley's coat, which is another highlight from this press conference. Yeah. He's the number one ranked bantamweight. He's never going to fight Aljamain Sterling. They train together. They're, they're best friends. Like, I don't think you, you'll you see that fight. You you might yeah, see. You throw enough money is why he might do it. Yeah, but I don't, you know, for some reason, I don't, when when I hear Mirab talk in interviews, and same thing with Aljamain, I just don't see that happening. Hey, as the saying goes, everybody's got a price. Oh, everybody's got a price, but I think Mirab would be smarter to if he could drop weight to mm, go to 125. Yeah. Like, I know it's a lot of a weight cut, but still... If he could do that, or even try going up, like or just or just sit there, take another fight that's not a title fight, wait for it to sort out what's going to happen with Aljamain Sterling and Sean O'Malley, and if if O'Malley happens to beat Sterling, well, there you go, you're the next contender. Yeah, which I think that that's if, the, if he's if if Sterling wins, well, Marab, you're kind of shooting yourself in the foot there. Well, well, that's the whole problem that you have is, I mean, when you train with your team and somebody wins a belt and that's your same weight class, like you you have. Literally two options. You're tying your hands together. Yeah, either you never want to fight for a belt, and that's cool. Like, some some people are, are happy just to fight, and, you know, like I say, more power to you. Or you move up or down a weight class because you, you're you here to be a champion. Like, I, my mentality would be like, okay, if you and I were in the same weight class. Right. Or one of us is going up, one of us is going down. Or, you know, like one of us has a belt. Fuck that. I'm knocking your ass out. No, I'm kidding. Yeah, step that up. Yeah. <laughs> 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 We'll do that on another time for another show. That's, that's for the Patreon. Yeah, that's for the Patreon. You heard it here first, folks. But in all seriousness, this is a situation that you're going to have a, a marquee matchup. I don't know how it's going to play out when it comes to be because depending on where they do this fight, and personally, I think they should do it in Vegas. Sure. I don't think they should do it in New York. I don't think they should do it in Jersey. Neutral ground. Neutral ground needs to be the place for this fight. I think that's where we need to see this play. Yeah. And I think that we can definitely make some stuff happen here. And the UFC is going to get what they want, and that's a lot more headlines coming out of this. But I don't know. Like I say, kind of to tie up the UFC 288 segment here, I think there was a lot of great fights, but I think what everybody's emphasizing on is this altercation after the fight. Mm-hmm. And I don't know if that's the right thing I want to be remembered for from this great night of fights. Right. I don't know, Pat. What about you? No, I mean, it's going to be interesting to see where they go from here. You've got a bottleneck in a couple of different positions, which you hate to see, but it does make some for some interesting, compelling, and some interesting fantasy booking. So we'll see what happens. We definitely will. 
So that was our recap of UFC 288. But before we stop talking the UFC on this edition, we do have one story that did come out after we recorded that we definitely want to address. Pad? Yeah, so that is uh, what may happen to John Jones after his uh, Steve Amiosic fight, whenever the hell that damn thing happens. Yeah, uh, so November, re- I'm hearing now. Uh, so reading from an article on ESPN.com, courtesy of Mark uh, Ramondi, quote, John Jones' days in MMA might be numbered. The all-time great told Fox Sports Australia in an interview published Tuesday, uh, side note, that's Tuesday, last week, uh, that he plans to defend the UFC heavyweight title against former champion Stipe Miocic in November at New York's Madison Square Garden and then walk away from the sport. Jones had previously mentioned retiring after that fight on Twitter. Quote, I think the Stipe fight will be plenty for me, Jones said. I feel like I don't have too much to prove after beating Stipe Miocic. I've been in the game for a long time. In fighter years, I'm an old guy. I've been training a long time, been in the game, been in the game long time. Got us got some small injuries. I just really want to be around. I want to be around for my family, be around for my kids. I want to be able to play with my kids, have a good head on my shoulders. I could see it coming to an end really soon, and I'm happy with that. I'm really proud of my career. Close quote. Well, how this translates to me, and let me know what you think, Pat, because I definitely want your opinion sure. on this one. He's waiting for that money fight with Nganu. Yeah. I'm sorry. Yeah. The fact that he just came back, won the belt. He's going to take one fight and then leave. He's taking one fight and bouncing. I yeah. mean, what does it say about the heavyweight division? Uh, he is not impressed with that performance. Yeah. So John understands the fight game. He wants to get paid. And obviously, taking a look at the division, yeah, there isn't anybody that's in that top 10 that would bring some star power to John's fight that would that would cause that much of a buzz outside of Miosic. Right, right. I think that they he's really trying to force the UFC's hand about doing the fight with Nganu. Sure. And we know Nganu is still a free agent as we are recording. Right. Hearing a lot of uh, stories. Stalled talks with about three different feds. That's the rumors going around. So we want to stress that, that there's a lot of um, delays in mm-hmm. signing. There's for, a lot of snags. There's a lot of snags for whatever reason. So I think by what John's saying mm-hmm. with this is you got to get Nganu to fight. Right. I mean, because there's certainly some names in there that like, okay, box office wise, you'd make a lot of money off of. But let's face it, John would eat them fucking alive. Yeah. You know, Cyril gone. Already fought. Already fought. Uh, Steve Amiosa, she's going to fight. Curtis Blades, that'd be a decent fight, but John would eat him the fuck alive. Yeah. Tai Tuivasa, again, you'd sell some tickets off of that, but again, John would fucking eat him alive. Yeah, there, there's a drop-off. You know, so the only way you're going to get John to not go into retirement is if DC comes back yeah. and they fight at heavyweight, because you got to remember, it's whatever the record is, it's, you know... All of their fights were at the light heavyweight division. Mm -hmm. They never fought at heavyweight, but DC's not doing that. Yeah. Or if Brock Lesnar were to come back, and let's face it, it might be in a a hypothetical fantasy booking situation with the WWE Endeavor, you know, UFC being one company thing, all of a sudden becomes a lot easier to swing when you're not dealing with two companies and two contracts talking with each other. It's all the same. It's all under one umbrella. On paper, it's easier. I don't think it's going to fucking happen. Brock Lesnar is more than happy with his schedule right now and doing what he does. There's nobody else in that division, you know, and it's not going to turn into, oh, he's only go, only going to come out for money fights and Faisal will earn him a shit ton of money. 
there's nobody there. Yeah. You know, I and I think he's realized he's done what he wants to. He's gone up to heavyweight. He's proved he can do it. He's won the belt. He's going to defend the belt and win or lose, he's going to retire. And hey, you know what? If if it is for the reasons he says and that it's he wants to be with his kids and he wants to be around for his kids and play with his kids, hey, more power to him. Mm-hmm. We've we've seen plenty of instances and stories in sports w- with professional wrestling, Uf, uh, UFC, NFL, and, and what have you, other hard contact sports where you get to a certain age and the wear and tear on your body from just the hits you took, boxing is another one, yeah. where you, they, you just can't play with your kids. You can't play with your your grandkids. God rest his soul, but look at Muhammad Ali at the end of his life. Yeah, You know, I, I can understand that. And if that is the reason he chooses to step away, hey, more power to you. You're going to walk out on top. If, if that's a legit reason, yeah, I, I agree with you on that one. I just don't think it is. No. <laughs> I think that he did not spend all this time to bulk up to fight Serial Gone. I don't, and, I don't and, think. And yeah. right off to the sunset. No, I don't, I don't think. I think whoever helped engage the competition in the, in the heavyweight division didn't do all their homework. No, I don't think they did at all because I think that he put on all that mass. He put on all that muscle. He's going to do two fights and then right off? No, he is trying to force the UFC's hand to get Ngannou. He right. can't, he if, can't if, tell me otherwise. If it were me, he's currently 27-1. and one. I'd go for 30 and be done. Well, that would be the way to do it because, I mean, especially Dana doesn't even recognize that loss. I, a lot of MMA fans yeah. don't. There's only one place it does, and that's the you know the commission, so to speak, because they're the ones that still haven't overturned that, that ruling after that egregious yeah. decision go to, look give up the to, highlight. to give it to Matt Hamill. I'm sorry. We there's no fight fans that acknowledge that one. Like I said, it's just the commission that does the rankings. But regardless of that, I mean, for John, it's an interesting position. Like I say, the UFC is not due back until November, I believe. Something like that. They always have a November show at MSG. Yeah. That would make a lot of sense if he wants to ride out that way. He's always wanted to fight at MSG, too. And from what I remember, he hasn't yet. No, he hasn't fought there. No. But the closest is uh, Jersey against Chael Sonnen. Yeah. But I think that he would love to fight in New York. I think it would be a big deal. And it would make a lot of money. Like I say, him against Miosic, that's a big money fight. So after that, though, when you have arguably the greatest of all time, you got to give him competition. Yeah. And I'm sorry, looking at the top ten. There ain't nobody there. There's nobody on that level right now. I'm sorry. I'm skimming through the names, pad red. Yeah. Nobody. Nobody's no. jumping out to say, like, this is box office. All of those guys in that division would be willing to step up to fight Joe. Oh, absolutely. Because who the fuck wouldn't? Yeah. You know, well, oh, you you come up to any Joe Blow on the street if they're in the heavyweight, would be in the heavyweight division at UFC. Oh, you want to fight John Jones? Oh, they're, they're absolutely going to take that fight. Yeah. But John's not going to want to give him the time of day. Yeah, that's the whole problem right there. So, Interesting scenario he's put forward, so we'll have to wait to see if he forces Dana White in Endeavor's hand to re-sign Ngannou. And I think that they need to. But then again, I've also said they need to sign Chris Cyborg back to fight Amanda Nunez, and she just re-upped with Bellator. Mm-hmm. So that fight's off the table. So the UFC is in a weird position right now. they got to make a decision, especially involving John Jones' future, because if he retires... There's another get, star gone. Yep, there's another star gone, and do they have one in the heavyweight ranks to fill his shoes? Well, they got a guy doing shoeies in that division. Yeah, but other than that, I mean, that's the closest you're getting to somebody filling those shoes. So hit us up on that hashtag and hashtag ODPHPod. Let's talk about this. John Jones' retirement. Do we think it's real? Do we think it's not? And do you think Ngannou's coming back? And then what is your thoughts about UFC 288 and the fallout coming from that? Are you excited about Sterling versus O'Malley? What about Bilal Muhammad? You know, sitting around for arguably a calendar year for a title shot pending? A lot of storylines coming out of this one, so we definitely want to interact with you. We're going to take a quick break. We'll be right back. Together, we can make a difference. 
That's been the sign-off for everything livestream for the Cure related ever since the event began back in 2017. Hello everyone, my name is Nick and I am the host of the livestream for the Cure, an annual charity event to raise money for the Cancer Research Institute for immunotherapy research for a world immune to cancer. And over the past six years, we've made that difference together. Amazing listeners, amazing viewers, amazing podcast partners and content creators all coming together and we've raised over $70,000. But this year, we're going to make our biggest difference to date and we're going to raise $25,000 for the Cancer Research Institute. Tune into the event at twitch.tv slash livestream for the cure starting May 18th as we're joined again by podcast partners and content creators from around the world to help the Cancer Research Institute crush cancer. Together, we will make a difference. Coming back for another segment on this edition of the ODPH podcast, and we have to talk some wrestling. Wrestling! This past weekend might have been one of the most memorable crowds in all of pro wrestling history for a premium live event that was supposed to be a throwaway mention. Yeah, uh, for me, uh, early contender for crowd of the year. Oh, I, Holy I, fuck. They, they've won it until further notice, and I, you can put it up against whatever crowd you're thinking otherwise. And, Pad, what are we talking about? We are t- talking about the premium live event, uh, Backlash, which took place from San Juan, Puerto Rico, in front of 17,944 people. Yes, the WWE's premium live event coming off the heels of WrestleMania, the WWE draft, and a lot of speculation going on, is one that usually is a throwaway. Right, and especially this year because, like you said, it's sandwiched in between the draft, between Monday Night Raw and Friday Night SmackDown, and also uh, Night of Champions is in three weeks. Mm -hmm. So there really wasn't a lot of anticipation for this card. Like We all thought that it was going to be a solid one. But it was one that we weren't expecting to be that memorable. And then, boy, were we surprised. Yeah, we were. That crowd was one of the most loudest the entire weekend Yeah, that I can remember watching on TV or being a part of. Like, just that crowd just had a different energy all its own. And I can only imagine if you were in attendance for this. The only crowd, I think, in the last week that was crazier was the one they had at the live show in France. Mm-hmm. where And the video's out there. So I'm not making this shit up, folks. You can go look it up on Twitter, YouTube, wherever. Yeah. But, the, but they had a live show in France. I don't know if it was Paris. Where, it was somewhere in France. But Seth Rollins came out, and the crowd sang his song for 12 minutes. I believe it. So... It's close between these two, but no, for what I saw on TV, not on my phone, uh, Puerto Rico, good on you. Yes, absolutely. So we are going to break down the card that was, and we got some stuff to talk about. So, Pat, let's kick it off. Yeah, so in the opening matchup of the uh, card, you had Bianca Belair defending her uh, WWE Raw Women's Championship against EO Sky of Damage Control, and you had Bianca Belair emerging victorious, winning via pinfall in 18 minutes flat. Absolutely amazing match. Yeah. Perfect way to start the crowd. And really got everybody going and, and really kind of set the pace for the rest of the night. Yeah. I thought Eosky had one of her best performances in recent memory on the show. On the main roster, yeah. On the main roster, definitely without question. Even comparing to her time in NXT, which I say she was doing amazing work down there. I thought her and Bianca just did a phenomenal job. The only thing that I am critiquing a bit, but it is what it is, is Bianca tried a one-handed slam yes. at one point, yes. and she did not protect Io enough. 
EO came straight down on her face sure. in a very scary yeah. scenario. Yeah. But luckily she was okay, kept going with the match. And like I say, it ended very solidly and continued the storyline going on with the fractures happening with damage control, the mm-hmm. faction of Bailey, Dakota Kai, and EO Sky. So a lot of wind to happen here. Wasn't super shocked at the ending, but I will admit, I thought they were going to maybe pull the audible, let EO win, mm-hmm. just because that crowd would have just exploded because they were yeah. very, very pro EO. Yeah, they were. And to Bianca's credit, she did go play into the heel side of things. So good good uh, adaptation. Yeah, because when you are basically working off the crowd, as all wrestlers do, mm-hmm. you really want to get the temp in the room of the story you're trying to tell. Bianca and EO both knew, okay, the we- crowd is very behind EO. Right. Bianco immediately switched into being a heel, which I mean, you typically see more so at house shows, right? That you know go on the the non televised events. You usually see that happen there when a wrestler flips gimmicks, right? Because well, it's not on TV; it doesn't really matter. The fact that Bianca and EO did this here, I thought was very interesting. I thought it was very professional, and it, and look how it paid off. Oh, I know. No, the match was was fantastic, and you get like you said, got to give credit to Bianca and EO having having a Rock Hogan moment where yeah. you know Rock was supposed to be the face, Hogan was supposed to be the heel, but the crowd would not let that happen, so they flipped mid match, and and you know Rock went heel, Hogan went face, and and it, look how that worked out, and this worked out just the same. Good open. I think it was a good introduction for folks on who only watch main roster only watch raw only watch smackdown they don't watch nxt so they're not super familiar with eo as a singles competitor like some folks who watch nxt or watch her you know in other federations Mm -hmm. you know you and i know how good eo is because we've watched nxt we've seen what she can do i mean the war games match where she she jumped off the top of the goddamn thing with her body encased in a garbage can comes to mind yes you know we know how good she is but you think about it for the almost year we're coming up on time she's been on the main roster she's been with damage control the entire time there were there have been two uh women's tag team title reigns with her and dakota kai you know there's been maybe only a handful you mean you may be able to count on one hand the number of times she's had a singles matchup so folks on the main roster who don't watch everything wwe you know might not be familiar so for me this was a good introduction for her she didn't get the win but i think her stock definitely picked up from oh absolutely picked up from this match and and i think a lot of folks realized okay when they eventually break up damage control, because you notice with the way this matchup went down, they're starting to sow some of those seeds, mm-hmm. you know, that they're they're going to split up at some point. You know, they're, they're showing, hey, she's not going to get lost in the shuffle. She is a, a good co- uh, contender on her own. Yes, absolutely. Uh, next up was the matchup that we couldn't figure out why the fuck this match happened, uh, but it was between Seth freaking Rollins and Omos, uh, where you had Rollins emerge victorious, defeating Omos via pinfall in 10 minutes and 30 seconds with one of the crazier pinfalls I've ever seen, the super curb stomp off the top rope. Uh, the match was what it needed to be, in my opinion. Uh, thought Omos would have won, seeing as he's a free agent, you know, looking to get uh, picked up, if we want to use sports terms, by another brand, and hey, what better way to increase your your viability than by beating one of the best uh, in the business today, but was not the case. Mm -hmm. I thought this was almost his best match period. Yes. And I think that I've read online too. So I I can't remember exactly who to give credit for, but I know like Walt has mentioned, uh, who's, who's a a friend of ours from six or seven podcast. And I know rich was talking about this on latest six or seven TWS. Almost is very young. Yeah, he is. And he is now just coming into his own, and it looks like the pairing with MVP is starting to pay off because the mannerisms he was using in 
this match. Mm-hmm. Really showed a different side to him that he's finally getting it. Like, he doesn't need to be the empowering giant, so to speak, and just, you know, that's all he does is big guy moves, quote-unquote. Right. He was playing to the crowd. He was, inter- like, he was selling a lot. He was, the mannerisms, it was telling the story. And I think that now it's sinking in. And I think a lot of this has to do with the fact that he's working with arguably the best wrestler on the planet and Seth Rollins. Mm-hmm. Because Seth is just so good. Yeah, he is. I think he made almost work for this in the sense of he really pushed him to take his game to another level. It, it's the best person to partner somebody with for a match if you want to give them a good match yeah. where you really want to showcase them. And, and listen, the time and the polish they've been putting to Omos is, is working. I looked it up. Uh, he's only 28 years old. He turns 29 on May the 16th. Mm-hmm. So he's still super young. And I'm, I mean, I'm just looking at his Wikipedia page. I don't think he went through the Indies. So like he is super no. fresh on this because, you know, he did play according to his Wikipedia page. He did play uh, basketball at Morgan state university in Baltimore, Maryland after transferring from USF. And he played, Played center for the Morgan State Bears from 2014 to 2015. There's a gap in his Wikipedia page because the next thing that shows up is it was reported that he signed with WWE on January 1st, 2019. Yeah. So there's a little bit of a gap, but he's super new to this, and all the time and, and training he's been doing is is very much paying off because he's he plays the giant role well, but he's doing he's picked it up so quickly. Yeah, he's picked it up very quickly, and like I say, in much in the same vein of Austin Theory. Yeah. When you're put in a program with Seth Rollins, no matter how long it is, Seth makes you work for it. Mm-hmm. And you saw he made Austin work for it and look at how he is now. Yeah. So, like I say, the Seth Rollins effect is very real and almost is a big benefit, uh, benefactor of this, mm-hmm. I should say. Yeah. So, that being said, I'd, I'd love to see them run it back at some point. Yeah. I, I don't know if they're going to, but – I'd love to see him carry this momentum on to the next program he's in. Mm-hmm, I would, too. Uh, next up was a triple threat matchup for the United States Championship, and you had Austin Theory uh, defeat Bobby Lashley and Bronson Reed uh, via pinfall in six minutes and 50 seconds to retain his United States Championship. Great match. Yeah. Uh, Bronson Reed. Holy shit. I think people forget about how agile he is for his size. Uh, that, that, that man does moves he should not be able to. Yeah, did a couple moonsaults. I mean, I thought the one he, honest to God, broke Bobby Lashley's shoulder off. Uh, there might be a case of beer exchange between the two because of that. Yeah, I, well, Lashley, I think, was trying to catch him, which I was like. That's a lot of dude to catch. That's a lot of dude, even though how strong Lashley is. Like I said, that's that was something that was wild to me. But this match was everything it needed to be. Like We knew it wasn't going to be anything earth-shattering. Well, not in the sense of it was going to blow people's minds. It was earth-shattering for physical reasons. Yes, because Bronson Reed was doing moonsaults, and at one point he just came down straight on Lashley's face. Yeah. So, I mean, it was a situation where those two really stood out, Lashley and and Bronson Reed. Mm -hmm. And they really won the crowd over. And and Austin Theory, he's he's kind of in a weird situation because his character is – I don't want to say doing the bare minimum, mm-hmm. but let's face it. He he finds cheap ways to win. Yeah, he's not really involved in any storylines, and he really hasn't been 
up to this point. Not you know? since the whole Rollins thing. Yeah, not since the whole Rollins thing. I mean, he's shown up on Raw. He's had a couple of matches, but it's not in any. It's kind of been like a one and done storyline thing. It's it's work. It happens the one week, and the next week, it's it's over and done with. Mm-hmm. You know, it was it was what it needed to be. It was short, sweet to the point. It was an absolute train wreck, and I don't mean that in a bad way. Right. It, it was it was just a bunch of guys crashing together, and let's see how much damage we can inflict. Mm-hmm. And you've got Austin Theory continuing to prove he is that smarmy little heel you expect, because like I said. On 607 TWS last week, you uh, it, on paper in kayfabe, if you tell me Austin Theory is going up against Bobby Lashley and Bronson Reed, if we're talking straight kayfabe, Austin Theory is going to get eaten alive yeah. because there's no way physically he matches up with either of those two opponents. Mm-hmm. But that just proves how smarmy he is and how much of a little pain in the ass he is because he shouldn't have won that match. He should have gotten destroyed. But he did sneak in there, get the pinfall, and uh, continue to retain his championship. Yeah, so definitely a fun match. And the crowd, like I say, never lost their energy the entire night. Yeah. So they were definitely enjoying this one. Uh, next up was a singles match for the WWE SmackDown Women's Championship where Rhea Ripley, Rhea Ripley uh, defended her belt against Zelina Vega and Rhea Ripley won via pinfall in 7 minutes and 10 seconds. Gotta say... Moment of the night, like sentimental moment of the night, I think for everybody involved, because as was said, Zelina Vega uh, grew up, born and grew up in New York City and in the boroughs, but does have family and does have heritage from Puerto Rico. She had her family in the front row, came out with the awesome Puerto Rican themed gear, had the little cape flag thing she had, which extended. You could clearly see the emotion and how the entire crowd of 17,000 plus was behind her. One of the best moments I've seen in professional wrestling ever. You know, just the emotion pouring out on her face, how much the crowd was behind her. You could tell this was a dream come true for her to kind of go back to Puerto Rico and wrestle in front of essentially what is her family's home crowd. Yeah. We always talk about wins and losses, and, like, that's what people remember. Not in this case. Mm-hmm. I had chills watching that. I did, too. And I, the entire watch party we had for this show, I think just was, you, you could feel the emotion coming out from Zelina and the love the crowd was giving her. And just it's one of those moments that you sit back and wrestling kind of takes a back seat. Yeah. And, you know, it's, it's one of those moments where it's just the emotions are pouring out mm-hmm. and they connect on that level. Yeah. And this was a situation that it was just awesome to witness and awesome to just see unfold. Mm-hmm. And then we have the match, and the match was solid. Yeah, it was. I would say it wasn't my favorite match on the night, but it's just because I think timing-wise, Rhea and Zelina were off a little bit. A little bit. But, but I want to stress this. I'm not ripping the match apart. Sure. Like, if I have to give it a grade... It's a B to a B plus. Right. Like, that's how good I thought the match was. Right, right. But it just seemed like there was a, a couple timing hiccups. And especially, too, we don't get to see Zelina wrestle that much no. lately. No. Like, she just hasn't She's been. She's the manager role. Right. She can go. Right. And that's the other thing, too, we got to know is, you know, yes, you know, the LWO and the Judgment Day have been feuding a little bit because Dominic and Rey Mysterio are on opposite sides of that faction. But it hasn't been like you've seen, you would typically see where on house shows in preparation for a pay-per-view or Monday Night Raw or Friday Night SmackDown or whatever, you see these competitors go up against each other. The one I remember back to was here in Binghamton uh, a week before, I forget whatever pay-per-view it was, but we had Bray Wyatt go up against Dean Ambrose, now John Mm. Moxley, and we went, why the fuck is this happening? This makes no sense. 
And then we get to the pay-per-view that following weekend or the next night or whatever it is. And we, and we see how Bray interferes with Dean's match costs him the match. And we go, Oh, that's why now all of a sudden it makes sense why they're, they were fighting with each other on the house show. They're getting the timing down. They're getting stuff figured out for when, when they go to fight on, on TV or whatever it is there. While yes, LWO and judgment day are interacting. You're not seeing matchups between Zelina and Rhea Ripley. Yeah. You know, so they don't have time to get that timing down. They don't have that time to figure things out. All right. What works? What doesn't work? You know, but still for, for not having a ton of time to work stuff out and work those kinks out. It was a great match. No, a great match. And like I say, the reaction after to the crowd, oh, the, the crowd st- showed so much love. To the standing the, ovation, so much love. Oh to my Z- god, Zelina, yeah. And some of the just some of the moments in the match. I mean, throwing the sandal. Yeah. Oh my, the crowd popped for that. You know, she hit the six one nine. If you haven't seen the video, WWE put out one. It's like a cut together video where on one part of the side of the video you can see Zelina hitting the six one nine, and then her mom's reaction from the front row. Yeah, it, it's just so much win with this match. Absolutely. So, like I say, Zelina might have lost the match, quote unquote, but there's a memory that was made that will never be forgotten. There. Mm-hmm. Uh, next up was the San Juan street fight between bad bunny and Damian priest. And, and to borrow from rich uh, on this week, six TWS. This was the spectacle of a night because good God damn, uh, you had bad bunny defeat Damian priest via pinfall in 25 minutes. Even, uh, so everything from this match is an A plus. I don't know who produced this matchup, but kudos to you. The, everything about this was an A plus mat, A plus job from uh, Bad Bunny coming out in the entrance, which I love. Something about the small entrance, I loved. Yeah, you could have gone big and grandiose at your first show and major show in Puerto Rico, and God knows how many years they went small. They kind of kept it low key, but from from Bad Bunny coming out, you know, to his own song. And the drone shot following him out and zooming into the crowd with the entire crowd of 17,000 people singing the song. I don't know about you, but in the last five, ten years, that's got to be the greatest entrance I've ever seen. It was definitely one of them. And like I say, when you talk about a crowd just in sync with Mm -hmm. the moment. Yeah. This was one. And Bad Bunny, one of the biggest pop stars in all the the world like they said in his intro like uh samantha Irvin said in, in the intro you know the most the number one streamed artist in the world mm-hmm. he gets wrestling yes he does and i'll agree with what mark henry said on busted open he is the greatest celebrity wrestler of all time yes like like logan paul is great too he's 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 a good talent and he's naturally gifted bunny is on a whole different level. bunny's on a different level bunny gets it like completely he understood coming out to the crowd. The crowd, like, literally, he had them eating out of the palm of his hand. I mean, that, the, go back to the entrance. You know, the the music hit, and it was his his bunny logo, and the crowd started cheering. Within five seconds, you had everyone in that building singing the song, which outside of Seth Rollins, you don't see that often, but there was something different to this because everyone was just so into it. And, and just the match and, and everything involved with it, good God, it was incredible. It was incredible to see unfold and there is an online rumor too because i know there's a lot of speculation yeah of why this didn't main event okay uh, the rumor that i've heard and i want to stress this is a rumor but this makes some sense sure there was a boxing match that night with canillo this is true and bad bunny knew that there was going to be fans that wanted to watch him and wanted to watch canillo okay so he asked for it to go on earlier so if fans were just watching to see him, oh, okay. they could tune in to see the Canelo fight. That makes sense. And that makes perfect that sense. Makes like, a lot I, of sense. It makes a lot of sense. But this whole match, like I say, from start to finish, 
was everything you wanted for a spectacle match. So he pulled out another Canadian destroyer. Yeah, like he came in with a whole you know, cart full of weapons. Oh my god, yeah. You know, and you saw they played into the street fight. Damian Priest, I like listen, doesn't get enough credit for how good he is. No. He made Bunny look like a million bucks. He for me has gone from the time he started kind of getting big and rising through the ranks of NXT where I didn't get it and I didn't really care. Hmm. Has risen from an I you know what it is what it is. I don't really care to this guy's good. And and he's going to be a champion, a multi-time champion, before it's all said and done. Yeah, Damian Priest is the real deal. And like I say, the chemistry they had was amazing. The fact Bad Bunny took uh, Falcon Arrow off the sound equipment through a table. That was at least 10, 15 feet down. Yeah. Holy shit. Like I say, he didn't have to do a lot of things that he does. I mean, let's face it, he's one of the most recognizable and popular music stars on the planet. Yeah. He doesn't have to do this. But he has that much respect for the business that he does it. Uh, just go look at what Sports Center posted. The man in like a calendar week did Coachella, the Met Gala, and then wrestled. Yeah, like he's the man can do it all. He's just on a different level. And then when you get to the ending of this match, oh my god! So obviously you have the Judgment Day interfere with well, Finn Balor Finn and Dom. Finn and Dom coming to the ring. But shout out to the fluent Spanish speaker that Finn Balor is. Yes, Finn. Finn was a, a hola. Yeah, hola. Was addressing the crowd, getting them all fired up, and then Dominic Mysterio is just instant heat wherever uh-huh. he goes for you know all the wrong reasons because I think everybody pretty much hates Dominic, but he does his character well. I got to admit that like, number one healing pro wrestling yeah, right now. Yeah, you can't argue that fact. So they decided to interfere. We see Rey Mysterio come running out solo, which was yep. which everybody thought was kind of odd. Yeah, which at this point I'm watching. I'm like, all right, you saw this coming. You figured Finn and, and uh, Dom were going to come out, and then Rey comes out. I'm like, all right, we just need LWO's music to hit. We, yeah. didn't, we didn't get LWO's music to we, hit. We didn't get. Who did we get? Carlito. Yes. Holy shit. Which, I mean, his father was a legend yeah. in, in Puerto Rican yeah. wrestling yeah. You know, history. So he's one of the most famous wrestlers, too, on the planet. So when he when you hear Carlito come out, the place explodes. There's some great videos floating around on Twitter and YouTube of like videos from the stands when Carlito's music hits. I'm gonna be willing to bet, and this might be a generous generous number, but I think it's about right. I think about half the people in that building had an out of body experience when Carlito's music hit. Oh yeah, and he looked in fantastic. Oh shape my god, too. yeah, he like, did. All he's been doing is working out, like waiting for somebody to sign him. So I am. Uh, let me put it this way. I would be shocked if WWE did not s- sign him quickly after this. I don't care about this nonsense about a quote-unquote uh, buying freeze or uh, hiring, freeze. hiring freeze. Whatever the case is, like, trust me, if they want to go get somebody, they'll go get them. And with he came down, that whole place exploded, and you just saw the Judgment Day start running to the back. They ran into Savio Vega, who is a legend, Yo. too. Like I say, one of the one of the most you know, like I say, just a legend. Mm-hmm. And you see him come out, and the whole place exploded for him. And he stood there, fought them off. Then the LWO came running into, to, you know, just it turned into a big old mess. But yeah, my God, it was just one of those moments. Like as a fan, and especially knowing who those two are, especially involving what they've done in, in Puerto Rico for wrestling. Mm-hmm. Like I say, that that is just a moment in itself. Yeah, and then now. You know, seeing how the match played out and Bad Bunny getting the win, like I say, mm-hmm. it was just it was just so much. Um, like I say, Rich hit it best on six or seven TWS this week. It's a spectacle. Yeah, it is. But it was everything for the right reasons. Like this is why you watch pro wrestling. Yeah. Like I say, 
we all sometimes get caught up in in the nonsense that is, you know, like I say, wins and losses, and you know, WWE versus AEW. Like this is just one that you just sat back and had fun watching. Right, and and the thing you want to do is you want to grow the business and expand the business to folks that have never seen it before. And sure, for some old school heads and sir, and for some diehards, whatever that like, oh, he's not a professional wrestler. Why are you giving him a, a platform? Why are you giving him a premium match? Because he's the most streamed artist on the planet it doesn't mm. matter if you look at spotify apple music youtube music or whatever streaming service you use he is number one and has been number one the last couple of years yeah bigger than some of the k-pop groups which frankly is astounding yeah that's a whole different conversation there yeah. but yeah but you want to grow this business and sure there's some overlap between fans of bad bunny and fans of professional wrestling but sure. there, but there also is an equal number if not more that aren't professional wrestling fans mm-hmm. so you you've put out these clips of the entrance him hitting a canadian destroyer him using a kendo stick and you and you get these fans that might not be might not be a professional wrestling fan might have heard of it but they don't watch it and they go what the hell is bad bunny doing in this professional wrestling ring they see the entrance and then they see some of the moments and they go holy shit you know what i want to check this out and that's how you grow the business. That's how you get new people and new fans invested. Yeah. And I guarantee you there are going to be some more people watching SmackDown Raw this week. Oh, yeah. And it's all thanks to Bad Bunny. Yeah. Uh, another person winning from this is Carlito because he did tweet on his personal Twitter account. Quote, well, looks like my indie booking price just went up to crying while laughing emojis. Oh, it definitely did. And like I say, I would not be surprised if he did not get signed by WWE out of this. Right. And like I say, AEW sure but, I mean, that's a whole different conversation right now with AEW. Mm-hmm. But for WWE, I think they would definitely capitalize on this, yeah. especially yeah. the reaction they saw coming out of this. And, you know, obviously they're going to be watching the reaction moving forward, but I'm I'm saying I wouldn't doubt seeing him back in a WWE ring sooner than later. I don't expect it. Uh, and then your next matchup was the six-man tag team match where you had the Bloodline taking on Matt Riddle, Kevin Owens, and Sami Zayn. Uh, and you had the Bloodline emerge victorious, winning via pinball in 22 minutes. And I got to say, for as crazy and as high energy as the last couple of matches were, this was a good kind of like, all right, let's calm everybody down, slow things down a little bit, give everybody a little breather. Great match, though. You know, how crazy is this to say this is the most predictable match of the night? Yes. You know, like I say, I, 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 it was a great match. Did not get mad about it. I mean, mm-hmm. the only the only thing it needed to do was extend the storyline between Solo Sokoa and Jey Uso. Right. And, I mean, because and, and, and Jimmy Uso. I should right. Say, I too. mean, because we know Kevin Owens not the biggest fan of Matt Riddle, and we know Sami Zayn is tolerating him. But there's not really a story there. Yeah. You know, it's it's just for the purposes of their matchup with uh, Solo, J- Jimmy, and Jay. Mm-hmm. The story is isn't with Riddle, Owens, and Zayn. It's with the Bloodline and. You know, Roman's not there. We knew Roman wasn't going to be there, so you can't really do anything with that. So how do you further the bloodline story? Well, you continue off of, well, there's fractures in the bloodline. You had, you know, Solo was supposed to come out and and interfere in the matchup a couple weeks ago, but he didn't make it out there, you know, and then where does he stand? You know, there's been some suspect behavior from Solo on, on what's been going on between him and the Usos, you know, and then you get to this matchup where, you know, some shenanigans were involved and, and certain parties didn't see what happened. And then you even when you get to the end where you have the Usos, you know, standing there like, hey, we won. Let's celebrate. And you got Solo there and looks uh, correct me if I'm wrong. Did it look like to me he wanted to give the Samoan spike to one of them at the end of it? Oh, absolutely. Because he did the whole yell like he's going to do it. And it looked like he was getting ready to set up for it. But then he didn't. Yeah, they're definitely playing the long game with that one. And I'm, and I'm completely fine with it. Because obviously it's still the biggest storyline in pro wrestling. Mm-hmm. And even though 
Roman is not exactly on TV every week for it. He doesn't need to be. I think at this point, Brock Lesnar has been on TV more this year than Roman has. Yeah. Which, which is, five years ago would have been insane to say. I know that's a wild statement, but it's true, though. But like I say, it was a solid match. It did what it needed to do. Uh, and then in the main event of the evening, you had Cody Rhodes taking on Brock Lesnar in a singles matchup, and you had Cody Rhodes defeat Brock Lesnar in nine minutes and 40 seconds officially. Uh, match went on a little longer because in the Cody came out first, uh, and then Brock came out after him. And before Brock could hit the ring, uh, Cody launched over the top rope and started attacking Brock because, hey, he's no idiot. Mm-hmm. They started beating the holy hell out of each other before they eventually made it their way back into the ring. Uh, you know, Cody hit with it. Uh, disaster kicks crossroads all his typical stuff you would expect uh and then brock went for an f5 and then f5 cody put him in the kimura and it was looking real dire because cody was not near any of the ropes and couldn't break it so it's like oh shit how's he gonna get out of this and then he kind of shifts his weight a little bit rolls brock onto his shoulders one two three cody picked up a pinfall on brock got the fuck out of there faster than your head could spin mm-hmm. and me and i said this because i was watching with my girlfriend les bailey i said this this ain't over you know just yeah. the way it went down and how quick it was you know it wasn't it, it was a clean pinfall but it also wasn't a clean pinfall because brock wasn't flat out on the mat you know unconscious whatever and cody got the win i'm like they're gonna face off again at some point it's just a matter of when yeah, it, it did what it needed to do because we knew this feud was going to extend. Mm-hmm. This wasn't going to be one and done. Right. The only way this was going to be one and done is if Brock wanted to take time off and then come back later. Sure. Like, sure. But obviously with the events coming from Monday Night Raw, that's definitely not the case. Uh, but this was kind of a surprise because I thought Brock was going to squash him and make Cody very sympathetic. I was something. afraid of that because of the whole, oh, Cody's got to earn it. He's got to get knocked yeah. down before he can climb back up. Yeah. Because there's more money in Cody chasing right. than there is as him as champion. Right. Sorry, I mean, it is what it is. No, yeah, it is. So this one, I was surprised to a minor degree that Brock bled mm-hmm. as bad as he did for Cody. I But knowing Brock... He doesn't do anything half-assed. No, he doesn't. And he doesn't do anything he doesn't want to, obviously. Right. Well, and the thing is, is that was planned from all the reports I've read, you know, uh, af- day after the match and a couple, in the, you know, the two days after the match. That was planned. Mm-hmm. That was not unplanned. Otherwise, we would have seen something much, for as bad as he was bleeding. Yeah. We would have seen something akin to WrestleMania with Finn Balor taking on Edge, where they would have stopped and checked the whole thing. But, you know, they did not. So that was planned. That was not a blade. That was legit, you know, he hit the turnbuckle as hard as he fucking could. Yeah. Which, if you didn't see how he looked on Monday night, the man had at least three, four stitches in his fucking forehead. Yeah. God damn. It looked horrific. Oh, that, that, that was nuts. That was the most I've seen blood in WWE in quite some time. Exactly. So I figured he might try doing something, but the fact that he had, he hit an exposed turnbuckle mm-hmm. which is just nothing but steel as hard as he physically could he like freight train ran into that thing. this was like him versus heath herring yeah legitimately yeah and except he didn't hit heath herring he hit the turnbuckle yeah and bled like nobody's business like it, it was the point where you were thinking you're watching AEW dynamite for a degree and we were not no but it worked out in its favor like i yeah. say and it, it sold the story i mean cody wins 
by a lucky pin. Mm-hmm. It extends the storyline to where we go into Monday night. Yeah, so we go into Monday night, and one of the things that happened in between the pay-per-view and Monday night was they on WWE unveiled the tournament uh, for the World Heavyweight Championship. Uh, you had six wrestlers from Raw, six wrestlers from SmackDown. On the Raw side, you had Finn Balor, Cody Rhodes, The Miz, Shinsuke Nakamura, Seth Rollins, and Damian Priest. On the SmackDown side, you have AJ Styles, Edge, Rey Mysterio, Austin Theory, Bobby Lashley and Sheamus. Uh, so the Raw matchups took up a bulk of the time on Monday Night Raw. <clears throat> um, the first one you had was between Shinsuke Nakamura, Seth freaking Rollins, and Damian Priest. I think we all saw where this one was going. You know, we I, we all figured that Seth Rollins was going to pick up the win. He did. Uh, well, that was a great matchup. And then almost immediately afterwards, you had the matchup between Finn Balor, Cody Rhodes, and The Miz. And like a lot of people figured, you know, hey, listen, you don't get one over on Brock without him coming back to take some receipts Mm -hmm. Uh, middle of the match because, Hey, this is a triple threat, triple threat rules. You can interfere. Uh, Brock came out right when Cody was about to get the win, pulled him out of the ring. F fived him through a table, uh, you know, and and allowed Finn Balor to pick up the win against the Miz, uh, you know, against the Miz and, uh, you know, go down to the semifinals, you know, but, but the story was with Brock and, he looked worse in terms of just yeah. fit physically than any of the Roman matchups I ever saw him in. You, you, like I mentioned, he had, you can look up the video. You can look up a photo. He had the stitches in his forehead. He had a black eye. He looked like he got his ass kicked. And yeah. you know he don't like that. No, he definitely didn't. Like The, his, the only thing that he, I would say he's got to work on is when he kept sc- screaming, look at my face. Yeah. Look at my face. That was a little cheesy. Yeah, like that, that was to the point of cheesy. But yeah. But listen, it's Brock Lesnar. I'm not going to tell him how yeah. to change how he wants to do a promo. Yeah. No, but I thought you hit it right on the head. Like, it, this was all to extend the fight to go to Night of Champions. Right. I think that Cody does get the win there again. Maybe. And I think it drives Brock absolutely nuts that Brock will want to interfere with him one more time. And, yeah, Cody could be in the Money in the Bank uh, match in, in London. Uh, and Brock costs him that. We've seen Brock do that before. Yeah, so like I say, I think that's where they're heading with this. I mean, I could be wrong, but... It's still, you extend the feud for one more time, and then Brock's going away for a bit. Do you do Hell in a Cell at SummerSlam? Because that would be the next pick, because I don't see it extending any further than SummerSlam. No, I I would do it, to be honest with you, because I don't see them doing any other match like that right now. Because it wouldn't be a last man standing, because Brock just did that not that long ago. Right. You know, I'm just trying to think of some other gimmick matches, because you wouldn't do a straight-up one-on-one if it's the third matchup between the two of them. You'd almost have to do a gimmick match. TLC match wouldn't make any sense. Yeah. You almost have to do a Hell in a Cell match. It's either going to be Steel Cage or Hell in a Cell. Right. Depending on what they want to do. Because, I mean, the only thing we can say for certain is Roman will be wrestling on the card against who we don't know. Right. And it'll be whoever they're going to make the contender out of on SmackDown. So right. whether it's Drew McIntyre, whether it's uh, AJ, whether it's Karrion right. Cross, I mean, right. the options are there, but... I think for what Cody needs to do, they need to have a definitive end, and they will. It will be yeah. it'll be in a cage structure of some sort. Yeah, I can see them just doing a regular steel cage. Yeah, I don't know if they want to necessarily do Hell in a Cell since they just did one with Edge and Finn. Yeah, that's true. So I could see them holding off on yeah. that, but that's why I said yeah. I'm not doubting they do a steel cage of some sort. Punjabi prison match? No, I'm kidding. Yeah. Oh, it's- uh, but to get back to the tournament on Raw, so you had Finn Balor going up against Seth Rollins in the semifinals last night on Monday Night Raw. And as much as I wanted Finn to win, I kind of knew where this was going. Did, yeah. it, did appreciate the receipt uh, Finn Balor gave Seth Rollins about seven years later. Yeah, I was going to say that was amazing. That was incredible, including Finn going, oh, how do you like it? How do you, how do you like it now? 
which yeah. great callback. Love that. But you did have Seth Rollins emerge victorious uh, to earn a spot at the Night of Champions uh, in the finals uh, for the World Heavyweight Championship Tournament. And now we're going to wait for Friday with AJ Styles taking on Edge and Rey Mysterio, and then Austin Theory taking on Bobby Lashley and Sheamus for the SmackDown side of things. I still say AJ comes out of that with the win. I'm thinking so. Like Edge would be cool to see against Rollins, but eh, eh. you know, yeah. I, I think if you want to go marquee, it's over in Saudi Arabia, which you know how they want to put on marquee matchups and once in a lifetime, well, quote unquote, once in a lifetime events. You know that that's a WrestleMania main event, putting AJ Styles up against Seth Rollins. Plus, I still feel that he's going to be a full heel with the club. It could be. I think that you're going to see him doing a lot more heel things, and that's fine. Yeah. Because Roman, I don't see Roman being on TV that much. Seth's so over with the crowd, he, he's a face. Yeah, so I mean, that's... No, ma- no matter how they portray him on TV. Yeah, so I think that they'll play play off very well. And, it, and like I said, you get a marquee matchup. And then, obviously, Seth is winning the belt, and he's bringing it back to the Monday Night Raw. And that's right. the right call to make. Right. So I think it's just nothing but win there. So Right, and I mean, if it does end up being AJ Styles, you can have him give, him some, give him some real heat when it comes to Saudi Arabia because you know how the crowd likes to sing Seth's song every time, even when the entrance is over. AJ, don't even let him get two seconds into singing the song. Come out, let him hit the music. Yeah, like I say, they'll, they'll do something like that. They'll, he'll, if he's going to go full heel about this, which I think he is, they'll cut off the song somehow and really fire that crowd up. And that's what you want. You want to get that yeah. emotion out of him. Final thoughts on this past week of pro wrestling, Pad. Uh, incredible reaction, incredible crowd down there in Puerto Rico. Kudos to you folks. Something tells me they will not be waiting long to go back there again, no matter what the reports say. Yeah. Uh, and incredible pay per view for what for on paper was like a throwaway pay per view that like okay felt really predictable given what the matchups were. Ended up being one of the better backlashes I've seen. I agree with you completely. I thought the crowd in Puerto Rico was absolutely incredible. They they are the crowd to beat right now for crowd of the year. Whatever award you want to give them, I mean, we might have to make a Brody for them this year, honestly, because they did that good of a job of really elevating a crowd or a card that was throwaway, to be honest. I mean, we all knew it was going to be solid action, but this really took it to a different level. And obviously, we did a fan poll on ODPH podcast on Twitter and A grade all around, like I say, overwhelming response. So definitely a lot of headlines coming out of WWE Backlash heading into Night of Champions. So we definitely want to talk about it. So hit us up. Let us know. Hashtag ODPHPod. What is your thoughts about this past weekend of pro wrestling coming from the WWE? Did you love it? Did you hate it? And why? And if you want even more pro wrestling content, make sure to check out the latest edition of 607TWS on your favorite podcast provider. That said, we're going to take a quick break. We'll be right back. You ever wondered what comics Mark from Vale Mai is into? What Zach from Left Behind's favorite MCU movies are? Well, Metalcore Nerds is the show for you. My name is Sean Ma, and here at Metalcore Nerds, we cover the latest things in pop culture, whether it be Star Wars, Marvel, DC, AEW, and everything else in between. You can listen to the show every Monday on Adobe Howl at 7 p.m. Eastern or find it anywhere you find podcasts after it debuts on the radio station. Coming back for the final segment on this edition of the ODPH Podcast. Pad, what you got? Got a couple things to talk about. Uh, first of which, obviously, being the local minute. And looking at the Binghamton Rumble Ponies and their schedule from the last week, uh, they were playing the Somerset Patriots on the road. That is the AA affiliates of the New York Yankees. So a little Subway Series action going on. Uh, their game on Tuesday, they lost by the final score of 7-4. to four. Came back Wednesday with a win of 5-1. to one. Lost on Thursday, holy shit, uh, by the final score of 10 to nothing. Hey. Yeah, not a good day. Uh, did not come back and forget that loss, though, because I got 
got another one by the final score of two to nothing. Lost again on Saturday by the final score of four to three, and then lost again on Sunday by the final score of eleven to two. So uh, from what I'm reading off those scores, Somerset pretty good this year. Yeah. Uh, this week they're at home for a one, two, three, four, five, six, seven game series against the Hartford Yardgoats. Uh, I'll explain why it's seven games in six days in a minute. Uh, but they are playing tonight as we currently record against Hartford, where they are currently up four to one. And why do I bring up the score? You might wonder. Well, it's because we had a special appearance in um, Binghamton from uh, New York Matt uh, making a rehab start, and that would be Carlos Cookie Carrasco. Yeah. Uh, making a rehab start for the Binghamton Rumble Ponies. He pitched three innings, gave up three hits, one run. That one run was earned. Uh, get Walked one, struck out one, and gave up no home runs. Uh, so all in all for a rehab start, not bad. Not too bad. Not too bad. Uh, so like I mentioned, currently as we record, Binghamton up 4-1. to one. They've got a doubleheader tomorrow on Wednesday uh, against Hartford. First game at 5 o'clock. Uh, second game, whatever time, probably about a half hour to an hour after the first game ends. Uh, they got another game on Thursday, the 11th, at 6.05 p.m. Eastern. Uh, they've got a game on Friday at 6.35 p.m. Eastern. They've got a note that is also one of the firework games, so there will be a firework show after the game. And then they've got a game on Saturday. Got a note, this game is at 1.05 p.m. Eastern, not a typical night game like you might expect. Uh, and this one got the special promotion is uh, Halfway to Halloween, uh, where it says, No tricks, only treats. All are invited to a spooktacular afternoon of bats and hopefully not too scary baseball come dressed in your favorite costume and celebrate halfway to halloween with us uh so that should be something fun if you got some kids in the area and you got the costume laying around from last year because uh, lord knows i hope you don't have their costume planned out in may uh and then they've got a game on sunday which is at 105 p.m eastern against hartford uh that one is uh kids eat free sundays which of course if you don't know that is where you go to the game uh and on select sundays throughout the season kids 12 and under can eat uh for free uh, so definitely check that out. It's a good promotion. Uh, for more tickets, information, and all that good stuff, bangrp.com. Uh, and then from my other base, got to talk a little bit of footy, although this one crosses over with football European and football American. Oh? Uh, yeah, because as some of you may know, some of you may not know, J.J. Watt, uh, standout defensive player in the NFL, mm-hmm. uh, got a little bit of free time, got a little bit of money he wants to invest. He recently invested with a European soccer club, an English soccer club uh, by the name of Burnley FC. Uh, they are in the second highest uh, tier currently of the English soccer system. That is the Championship League. Uh, uh, currently in first place of that league, so it looks like sh- unless things fall apart in spectacular fashion, which they won't, uh, they're going to get promoted to the Premier League, so that is the highest level of English soccer uh, in, in over in the UK. Uh, but he is a minority owner, uh, invested some money a couple weeks ago, uh, spending some time in his offseason uh, investing money in that and getting to know the folks over in Burnley because he did an interview on BBC Breakfast on Tuesday uh, where he said, quote, uh, I've, learned that, I've learned that the history, tradition, and supporters, it's all about respecting and honoring that. You never want to come in and try to do something that's not true to who the club is and what they're trying and what we're trying to do is show people what real uh burnley is about i did a pub crawl yesterday on my way to the stadium <laughs> so i started at the royal Dyche, uh worked my way down to vintage uh clarets and all the way up to turf more just to getting to know the supporters i want to earn their trust by showing them how much we care and how passionate we are it's research I'm doing research and lots of pints of Guinness along the way, but it was a lot of fun and really uh, good to get to know them on a personal level. And hopefully they get to know us as well. Close quote. So JJ Watt, not uh, lacking in any bit of fun in his off season, buying minority stakes into European soccer clubs and doing pub crawls. 
Yeah. Which is awesome. That's awesome. That's, a, that's. I mean. Also, shout out to his business savvy investing in club that's going to be in the Premier League next season. Yeah. Like that's I was, insane. I was going to say, he's definitely making some moves yeah. in the offseason. I'm excited to see where this goes. Yeah. Uh, you know, like I said, I'm starting to slowly come around to, sure. you know, the ways of soccer or football, as you football. say. Football. So, for my base, we got to, it's kind of, it's painful for me to talk about, mm-hmm. but we have to address some hockey, and there was some New York Rangers news we got to talk about, too, yeah, as well. Yeah. So, before we get into it, Pad, you want to break down the standings of the Stanley Cup playoffs for everybody who else is still watching? Yeah, so for those of you still watching, which, why the fuck are you watching? Yeah. Uh, you shouldn't care. Uh, over on the Western Conference side, uh, you've got the Seattle, uh, what are they, the Kraken? Yep. Seattle Kraken up on the Dallas Stars, two games to one. Uh, and then you've got the Vegas Golden Knights up two to one on the Edmonton Oilers. And then on the Eastern side, you've got the Florida Panthers up three games to nothing on the Toronto Maple Leafs. Let's go. Oh, you got to love that Toronto finally made it in after 16 years. They made it past the first round and they're going to get their fucking hearts broken. Yeah. Uh, I don't think they'll care. Uh, and then in these series, I could give two last fucks about. Uh, you've got the Carolina Hurricane up two games to one on the New Jersey Devils. Go Florida. Go quadruple elimination. Whatever eight, the like whatever the phrase is for eight, eliminate them all. Yeah, honestly, like playoffs, playoffs are canceled. Hockey season ended when the Rangers were done. But I mean, obviously, we have to be our uh, sports journalists here and and talk about it. Uh, like Florida is a Cinderella story, and if they make a run, great. I personally would love to see either Seattle or Vegas make it. That'd be wild. It would, I'd like to see Seattle. Vegas was there once before. It'd be wild to see Seattle. Oh, yeah. It would be crazy because, like I said, the only time in recent memory that's happened is Vegas went on their first year. Yeah. They made the run. They I mean, made the run. They didn't win, but they made it there. Exactly. So uh, anybody but Jersey right now. Yeah, for I'm, real. I'm, I'm pretty happy with for that. For real. Uh, speaking of the Rangers, a uh, little bit of news happened. They did fire their head coach, Gerald Gallant. Well, they agreed to part ways. Yeah, but... That's being polite. That's being polite. Uh, what can you say? Uh, disappointing season this year, to say the least. I know it's kind of crazy figuring how much he led them into the playoffs last mm-hmm. year. But let's be honest. The amount of talent they had, they should have gone further. The fact that they made all those trades for Tarasenko and uh, w- at the time, Patrick Kane, we all thought was going to be a game changer to a degree, uh, sadly is not. No. Um, we all thought that this was going to be the year and they were built to win now. And the fact that they got bounced, especially being up to nothing in those playoffs, uh, it's tough. It really is tough. So, unfortunately, he had to go. And there's a lot of rumors about a potential replacement for him. I don't know. Um, I don't want to really kind of speculate. I heard one name going around, but I'm starting to think that's cooling off, too. Mm. But I think the Rangers, whoever takes that position, is going to have a great team to build off of. Yeah. But they're they got to change a couple things, especially uh, they can't just sit back and let the lines get pushed around like they were. Mm-hmm. Jersey, let's face it, when they took them out in the playoffs, they 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 blocked the center of the ice. They weren't allowing any passes to go through the middle. It was what it was. It was painful to watch, especially when your star players disappear because they thought they could just turn it on and off. And that clearly goes to lack of discipline. Mm-hmm. So, unfortunately, he had to be the first person gone. I'm expecting to see some moves this offseason by Chris Drury as the GM. So, we'll have to wait to see how this team looks moving forward. But Gallant being out, not super shocked at. No. Because, like I say, when you're built to win now, you have to do that, especially when you go get big-name free agents. Speaking of free agents, mm-hmm. the one that we mentioned on here is Patrick Kane. Pat, where did he used to play? Uh, Chicago. Yep. 
You know what Chicago did? They got the number one fucking draft pick. They got the number one draft pick. This oh, the shit is so rigged. Yeah, like I say, it's it, it plays out like this. So they look to be in line to go get the uh, the big player that everybody's saying is going to be the next Sidney Crosby, the next Wayne Gretzky. Mm-hmm. You know, add in which whichever player you think is is a game changer in that degree, and that's Connor Bedard. Uh, I. I would say we'll have to wait and see, but there's a lot of hype behind Connor. Chicago is in that rebuild mode, yeah. and like, listen, it paid yeah. off for him, so I can't be mad at him oh, about it. Just shit is so rigged, but yeah, but just they they clean house and they somehow get the number one draft pick out yeah. of it. I mean, it is what yeah. it is. It, it, there's well, been other. It's, it's the luck of the ping pong ball bullshit. Yeah, yeah. Like I said, bullshit. Yeah, that's yeah the NBA thing. How that worked. Yeah, like I say, it's just there's a lot of things we just talk about as what pad. Reasons. This is one of them. So we'll have to wait to see how Bedard does when he gets to the NHL. But obviously, Chicago lucked out on this one. So congratulations. And thank you to our Chicago listeners for tuning out. Yep. So that being said, we got one more thing to talk about, and that is the NBA playoffs. As painful as this is. I'm really going to twist the knife in you on this one. Yeah, go ahead. I'm waiting for it. So we're going to start in the Western Conference, where you currently have the L.A. Lakers off three games to one on the Golden State Warriors, although Sun tells me that's going to go seven. I got a feeling that's going seven. That's been a fun series to watch. Yeah, I, will, it has. I will say that. Yeah. Because if you want to see two vintage teams going at it, and especially in their prime, LeBron versus Steph Curry, that was amazing to watch. Mm-hmm. This has been fun to watch too, but like, let's face it, obviously there's a lot of tread on both players' tires. Yeah, there is. So that being said, it's it's still a great uh, series to watch. Like I said, I like the Lakers in this one, not just because they're up okay. 3-1, but okay. that was my original pre- uh, prediction because I think LeBron, if he's going to make a run, this is going to be the time to do it. So I'm sticking with Golden State, although I do got to give LeBron some credit because I saw a stat the other day. Uh, LeBron has got a double-digit scoring streak going which i forget the exact number all i know is he's got a double digit scoring streak that is longer than the number of games michael jordan played in his entire career yeah which is fucking wild it's insane that's insane uh then you've got the denver uh, nuggets and the phoenix suns currently tied at two games apiece well denver is hanging in there hey, hey uh Jokic, you might want to put the uh, phoenix owner's photo in your locker yeah just saying that whole nonsense at least he's not suspended at least he's not and uh, you know kudos to the, the sun's owner for not making this a bigger deal than it, it yeah. could have been yeah because if he wanted to press further it, this could have got real messy mm-hmm. but he said no because i don't want the series tainted sure so like listen i respect that like oh i do too you know that's that's a lot to do in this day and age. So I I got to say, that series has been kind of fun to watch. I do like Denver in it for some reason. It's just when Jokic wants to play and step up, he he can take over a game. Mm-hmm. He proves that he deserves that MVP talk. I'm just kind of surprised that Phoenix is getting struggling as bad as they are. Like I said, they're they're getting outshot a lot of the nights. And, uh, you know, somehow Denver is hanging in there. So, yeah, like I said, yeah, the series some, is, both teams are scrappy. Yeah, they're scrapping a little bit. Like I said, I'm just surprised Denver, you know, the two games they've won, mm-hmm. I'm surprised about how much they've outshot them. Like, yeah. That's the thing that's surprising to me. Uh, and then in the Eastern Conference, you've got the Philadelphia 76ers and Boston Celtics currently tied at two games apiece. Whoa. This is another series. It's, this is going seven. This is going seven, but you know what? I'm more shocked at what team shows up for Philly. Mm-hmm. Like either they look like the champions mm-hmm. in waiting, mm-hmm. or they look like what are we doing on the court? <laughs> There's no in between. There is, literally there isn't. It's you you know by the end of the first quarter, right? I mean, you look at the gutsy win they had the other night where they pulled it up by what one two points? Oh yeah, it was a freak yeah. win. Yeah, freak. 
like I say, Harden hits that that game winning three, and then Boston comes down and hits the shot after the buzzer. Mm-hmm. Like how you can't get it any closer than that, and it just depends on like what you're going to get out of Philly in a night. Like that's the craziest thing. If they can get Game Five, I think they take this. But this is not an easy series. No, it's not. Like it, I say, I agree with you. This is going seven. This is going seven. Whoever wins this is taking the East. I'm going to say this right now. And then the last series we got to talk about, and certainly the most important one uh, for Ken M, is you've got the Miami Heat currently up three games to one on the New York Knicks. Okay. The thoughts, views, and opinions are that of Ken M and do not reflect that of the ODPH. Listener discretion is advised. Julius Randle's got to go. <laughs> he's well, got, he's I wonder if you were going to go there. He's got to go. I'll say Stephen A. Smith was on the verge of saying he needs to be traded this morning on first take. He didn't go that far. He's like, I'm on the verge of saying it. Did you hear his quote? No. After that game? No. I'm going to paraphrase. Maybe Miami wanted it more. Ooh. Hmm. If I am not mistaken... That was the quote that he said. And you, if that is what was said, then that is a problem. You're in the playoffs. You can't have that mentality. The problem we've had this series is we went all in against Cleveland, did what we needed to do. We looked like a team that was playing both sides of the ball. And for whatever reason... We came against Miami, and Miami literally is just punching them in the mouth, and the Knicks look lost. Uh, So from a tweet courtesy of the Athletic NBA Twitter account, uh, and the video is from SNY Knicks, Julius Randle said in the postgame press conference after the Game 4 loss, quote, maybe they want it more. I don't know. That's who we've been all year, close quote. Yeah, you can't say that. You can't say that in New York. As, as you're supposed to be like the number one guy, like the face of the starting five, this man is broken. Yeah, he's done. This man this man is broken like, you know, Rocky got beat in some of the Rocky movies. Like like he just got beat by Clubber Lang. I'll, I'll, like I say, it, we've seen this time and time again with the Yankees. Yes. When a player has said a comment like that, what has happened, Pad? Uh, they usually get benched. Yeah, they get benched or they get traded. Randall has struggled this entire series. And I don't know if it's just, and like I say, this is me speculating. Sure. I don't know if it's he can't play with Brunson. He can't handle the fact that Brunson has taken the spotlight from him. And it's it's something bothering him. Like Which, to play devil's advocate, okay, then why did they get in the position they are this year if, if this is all of a sudden becoming an issue? Yeah, like that's the whole thing. Like, I don't understand it. Because it's literally like hitting a light switch. Mm-hmm. Because they were so on against Cleveland. And Cleveland is a good team. Like, the fact we beat them in a series, that's a huge feather in the cap. But the fact you came in against Miami, who is banged up, they're not exactly 100%. Right. They're just getting out-hustled and out-rebounded. And the fact that Mitchell Robinson is doing everything he can, but he can't do everything. Right. That's a problem. And especially in a game that was close, like it was for Game 4. They were letting Jimmy Butler, with bad ankles and all, drive right down the center of the lane, mm-hmm. un- untested. Mm-hmm. So, like, what are we doing here? 
Uh, pulled up some stats for Julius Randle. Uh, in the regular season this year, he had averaged 25.1 points per game, 10 rebounds per game, 4.1 uh, assists per game, and a field goal percentage of 46%. Uh, for the playoffs this season, he is averaging 15.9 points per game, 3.5 assists per game, 8.4 rebounds per game, and a field goal percentage of 37.5%. Yeah. So he's down in every average. He's down. And like I say, I don't know if he's putting too much pressure on himself, but you're not playing team ball. Like, I'm sorry. The team is is taking a step back, and like either they're relying too much on Brunson, which, listen, I have, I'm not blaming Brunson on anything except he's trying too hard. Right. Because he is literally going out there and trying to be Allen Iverson 2.0 by taking a team over. And I don't and like to be honest with you, I'm not mad at the effort. We'll never complain about this effort. Right. But you need help to do this because Miami is picking you apart. Mm-hmm. Like I say, when they are out rebounding you and it's embarrassing watching. Right. That's a problem. Especially when we talk about how the close the game was for the most part with five minutes left. They're down by I think by at one point down by seven. Right. And they are just letting Bam and Jimmy drive down the center lane untouched. Mm-hmm. Like, I'm sorry. You need to get more physical with them because Miami is just outboxing you. And literally, Jimmy Butler is making it a point to will this team to the playoffs. And his performance, like I say, I, I will never speak bad about Jimmy Butler's performance in a, in a game. He is a guy that literally leaves it on the court every single night. I wish the Knicks would follow suit. But unfortunately, they might sneak out game five, maybe. We'll say. But they're not winning game six. I would be shocked. I would be happily shocked. I would love to eat my words. But it's not happening because the fact you made that comment, that's that tells me that's a temp in the room. Right. Because I have not heard any other player go against that. And that's a problem. Yeah, that's concerning, especially when your backs are against the wall. Uh, looking ahead to the schedule for uh, the next couple of game, next couple of days, uh, on Tuesday, May 9th, you've got Philadelphia 76ers in Boston in uh, Game 5. That's three tied 2-2. That's at 7.30 p.m. on TNT. Phoenix and Denver in Game 5. That is at 10 o'clock on TNT. Wednesday, uh, May 10th, you've got Miami and New York in Game 5. That is at se- that it's in New York, 7.30 p.m. Eastern on TNT. Uh, currently, as we record, the line is uh, the Knicks by 3.5, although that could be just because it's a home game. Uh, and then you've got the Lakers at Golden State in Game 5 at 10 o'clock on TNT. Uh, Thursday, you've got Boston and Philly in Game 6. That is at 7.30 p.m. Eastern on ESPN. Denver and Phoenix in Game 6 uh, at 10 o'clock p.m. Eastern on ESPN. Uh, and then Friday is Knicks and Heat at Game 6, if necessary, uh, where that is to be determined. That'll be on ESPN if it occurs. And then you've got Golden State at the Lakers uh, for Game 6, if necessary. That would also be on ESPN. Yeah. So... Things should be interesting. Like I say, I, I'm not doubting we see a Lakers-Celtics one last time. That'd be good. That would be something. Yeah. I But I, I like Philly. I mean, I took them at the beginning of the playoff run. I think they're still going to do it. Uh, the West, though, that could get interesting. That could get very, very interesting. It don't matter who's going to win it out of the come out of the East. It's going to be the West to win. Yeah, West, West is going to take this. the whole damn thing. Yeah, but it's not going to be the Knicks, unfortunately, even though I'm, I'm still holding out for a miracle. Hey, they, never know. They, they need something. Like I, know. I, I don't know what could happen in the garden. but They could get a bottle of Michael's secret stuff, uh, a la Space Jam, and miracles could happen. Things could happen, but I tell you what, if the Knicks win game five, mm-hmm. I could still see 7th Ave getting shut down. Probably. Just for reasons. Yeah. 
Like I say, yeah. and, and then in the offseason, we got to make some moves. I think, Randall, you got to move somewhere. I, I don't know where. Yeah. I think at this stage, last year was bad when he had the down year. Yep. And obviously in the playoffs when Trey Young lit him up. I mean, oh. they've, they've, I don't want to say that was our Atlanta moment. Roasted that man like a marshmallow. But you, you have to think it is. Yeah. Like as, as weird as that sounds. Yeah. That's our that's our Atlanta twenty seven to three moment. Yeah, it is. Or twenty four to three. Twenty eight to three. Twenty eight three. That's that moment. So we have a lot of work to do in the offseason. We do. But it'll be fun watching, nevertheless. And you got to hope the Knicks do well because if the Knicks don't do well, then James Dolan starts interfering with the with the Rangers. Everybody go out buy a CD right now. We're gonna put the link in the liner notes. Go buy James Dolan's CD. Please go support him in concert so he stays away from the Knicks and Rangers. Seriously. I know there's a lot of Knicks fans and a lot of Rangers fans that listen to this show. I'm dead serious about this. Go buy his CD. Keep him away from the Knicks. He's distracted doing his music. Listen, like let him do it. Like you know, put him on tour with Dave Matthews. It'll be great. Just nonstop touring. That's all he needs to do. Just cut checks. <sighs> that said, the for anything and everything that is the ODPH ODPHpodcast.com. That's all we got for this week. So for the one, Padawan J. Fuck the Astros. I'm your host, Ken M. Like I said, that music will be in the liner notes of this episode, so please go support. I kid. I so kid. if I can fucking find it. Yeah, I kid. I kid. Uh, but in all honesty, thank you as always for listening to the ODPH podcast, better known as the Ocho Duro Parlay Hour. We'll see you next time. Gotta beat to the punch. Gotta beat to the punch. Cause they can't bring me down.